You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. Welcome to our Living for the Batman series. Amidst an ever-expanding world of cinematic superheroes, the character of Batman remains one of the most iconic. The first comic book version of the Batman Bruce Wayne persona was first created for the page by Bill Finger and Bob Kane in 1940. And since the late 1960s, this character has been represented at the movies in various live-action and animated incarnations by at least seven different actors. Once a month over the next four months, I will be revisiting one movie featuring a different actor playing the Caped Crusader leading up to the U.S. release of The Batman on March 4th this time starring Robert Pattinson in the title role. We are here to discuss Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. This is the ultimate edition, mind you, and this came out in 2016. It was directed by Zack Snyder. He has the power to wipe out the entire human race. If we believe there's even a 1% chance that he is our enemy, we have to take it as an absolute certainty. The greatest gladiator match in the history of the world. God versus man. Day versus night. You're psychotic. That is a three-syllable word for any thought too big for little minds. Power can be innocent. It stars Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill, Amy Adams, Jesse Eisenberg, Jeremy Irons, Diane Lane, Scoot McNeary, Holly Hunter, Gal Gadot, Kalan Mulvey, Tao Okamoto, and Lawrence Fishburne. The genre would be superhero epic. Batman v Superman otherwise known as BVS. I remember seeing this twice in theaters five years ago and really wanting to like it. As it was, I just liked parts of it. The problem is, is that I was just never down with the Zack Snyder aesthetic. As a director, his specialty has always been stark imagery. Stark imagery generally suited to album covers from 1980s heavy metal bands. Now, I'm probably dating myself here, but if you remember Eddie, who was the album cover avatar for all Iron Maiden albums, their skeletal cartoon mascot, if you will, you'll know what I'm talking about. When you watch Snyder films like 300, Watchmen, Sucker Punch, even the recent Army of the Dead, which I actually liked, and which fits because it's a zombie movie, Eddie would get along swimmingly with those folks. These all feel like dark, nihilistic worlds where Eddie would fit right in. And now having finally seen the three-hour ultimate edition of this movie, that unfortunately still holds true for BVS, Batman v Superman, as well. It's positively bizarre just how relentlessly Snyder shoehorns in grim imagery every chance he can into what is supposed to be a somewhat rousing superhero tale. Allow me to list literally every moment of disturbing imagery I can think of, which is included in this three-hour director's version of an epic story of two superheroes facing off. There's 9-11-like imagery of buildings collapsing and people near them covered with soot. 
There's one prison inmate getting shivved multiple times by another inmate. There's a terrorist attack blowing up a government building. There's multiple body bags seen in the aftermath of said explosion. We see a woman being shot point-blank in the face with the gun inside a pearl necklace. Because this is the hundredth portrayal of the death of Bruce Wayne's parents, we need those pearls, right? We see a jar filled with urine left on someone's desk. No joke. We see not one, but two moments showing a seven-like series of Polaroids demonstrating how someone got beaten up real time. There's a pile of charred corpses in the middle of the desert. Several folks who have been branded with the bat symbol. There's blood oozing out of a standing coffin. There's a zombified Kal-El, otherwise known as Superman, in space immediately following a nuclear explosion. There's a post-apocalyptic wasteland featuring human-sized flying bugs coming out of nowhere. Yes, I know they're parademons, but there's zero context given for them. We also see Amy Adams drowning under rocks for no reason. We see Jesse Eisenberg frothing at the mouth from inside a jail cell. We see Jesse Eisenberg being detained by authorities while standing in a pool of blood. And worst of all, we see Jesse Eisenberg shoving a Jolly Rancher into another person's mouth. Whew. I mean, even the likes of Rob Zombie had to be walking out of this thing saying, you know, that's a bit much. Seriously, even having recently seen and enjoyed The Suicide Squad, which is a hard, R-rated, gory superhero movie from this same universe, no less, even that film doesn't feature as much gratuitous, grim imagery as this director's cut of BVS. And yeah, I get it. Batman's stories can and often do get dark. But literally two-thirds of the stuff I just cited above has nothing to do with Batman or Bruce Wayne. Much of it is just used for color to establish the freaky stakes of an absurdly convoluted and drawn-out story. You really feel the length with this three-hour cut. Most of the extra footage is just used to explain side plot stuff more related to Lex Luthor's elaborate plan to take down Superman, I think. If God is all-powerful, he cannot be all-good. And if he is all-good, then he cannot be all-powerful. And neither can you be. They need to see the fraud you are with their eyes. The blood on your hands. I am not going to even attempt to explain the overall plot which drives this movie. It makes about as much sense as Baron Zemo's plot in the comparatively themed and planned Captain America Civil War, which actually came out two months later. Needless to say, the story driving BVS is needlessly convoluted, especially a running subplot revolving around Lois Lane investigating a particular bullet found at a shooting in Africa, which no one really cares about. Now, this is not to say that there aren't things which I still like, because Snyder brings his strengths to the proceedings as well. Among them, the very fluid action we see throughout, most of it involving Affleck's Batman. By the way, Affleck looks great in the cape and cowl and as Bruce Wayne. He's clearly playing an older, more grizzled version of this character, with salt and pepper hair, and it really suits him. And the few scenes that he has directly interacting with Henry Cavill's Kal-El slash Clark Kent, they generally work too. I actually wanted more of these two, and there was just so much runtime devoted to either of these guys interacting with peripheral side characters, much more than with each other. Don't believe everything you hear, son. I've seen it, Mr. Wayne. He thinks he's above the law. The Daily Planet criticizing those who think they're above the law is a little hypocritical, wouldn't you say? Considering every time your hero saves a cat out of a tree, you read a puff piece editorial about an alien who, if he wanted to, could burn the whole place down. 
There wouldn't be a damn thing we could do to stop. Most of the world doesn't share your opinion, Mr. Wayne. Maybe it's the Gotham City in me. We just have a bad history with freaks dressed like clowns. Now, my favorite among these side characters is probably Senator Finch, as played by the irreplaceable Holly Hunter. Half of her scenes involve trying to not be creeped out by Eisenberg's Lex Luthor, but Hunter pulls it all off with the necessary gravity and aplomb. Hunter just gives a reliably lived-in performance as a cynical career politician, finally finding herself at a loss as to how to handle such an extraordinary situation. Now, I don't like how her character is written out of the story about halfway through, but she proves once again how one of Snyder's key strengths has always been casting. This is how a democracy works. We talk to each other. We act by the consent of the governed, sir. I have sat here before to say that shadow interventions will not be tolerated by this committee. Neither will lies. Because today is a day for truth. Speaking of which, Gal Gadot. She was never even close to being among my top choices for the iconic role of Diana Prince slash Wonder Woman. And I do remember Zack Snyder getting a lot of blowback when her casting was announced. Regardless, she genuinely leaves her mark, making the most with limited screen time. She's pitch perfect as this mysterious artifact curator who drifts in and out of the story, also striking up the interest of Affleck's Bruce Wayne. To the surprise of many, myself included, she just has the natural screen presence slash charisma to pull off an otherworldly figure like this. And that's certainly carried over to her first standalone movie, which I love and will review at some point. You don't know me, but I know a few women like you. Oh, I don't think you've ever known a woman like me. You know, it's true what they say about little boys, born with no natural inclination to share. And that takes us to the overblown extended climax slash finale. There are massive explosions, death-defying CGI leaps, huge unexplained lightning flashes, that giant ninja turtle that our heroes have to defeat. <laughs> Honestly, it's all very entertaining, and you can see Snyder just cutting loose with visuals seemingly pulled right from comic book panels. And of course, the Wonder Woman reveal makes it worthwhile too. That said, I'm still at a loss as to why we needed two-plus hours of Diet Fincher wankery to even get to this point. In retrospect, Snyder was just the wrong type of filmmaker to hire to kickstart this shared universe. And I'm glad that not only has Snyder moved on from this genre, the comic book genre, but that Warner Brothers, DC, has since moved on from chasing the MCU formula in lieu of just putting out one interesting standalone movie at a time, which is the best way to go. And now here's a shout-out courtesy of the With Nothing to Say podcast. To all IMDb abusers, letterbox fanatics, obsessive cinephiles, and frisky filmmakers alike, check out the With Nothing to Say podcast, a life-through-fiction production. It's a show of filmmakers, by filmmakers, and for filmmakers, found wherever you watch, listen, or hear podcasts. And that brings us to the categories. And the first category, because this is the Living for the Batman series, is the Best Bat Bit. This series of movies starring Batman has so many elements which carry over through various incarnations of the caped crusader. And that includes theme music, the Batmobile, villains, who plays Alfred, and even visual gags involving the bat symbol. And this award goes to the one thing that stands out the most for this particular entry in Batman film canon. 
Now, as much as I love Michael Caine's portrayal of Alfred in the Dark Knight trilogy, I think I might even like Jeremy Irons' portrayal just a little bit more. One key difference might be the age gap between Bruce Wayne and Alfred Pennyworth in this version. As opposed to most versions of Alfred being old enough to be Bruce's grandfather, Irons is only about 23 years older than Affleck. And with makeup presenting Bruce Wayne as even older, it's probably no more than 15 years. So Alfred is more of an older brother than grandfather to Bruce. And I just really dug that, and Irons really makes it work. His Alfred has not only been around the block a few times, but he's still an active participant. He's crafting many of the gadgets, he's souping up the Batmobile, and he's even giving Batman tactical command at times. And Irons not only has the physicality to pull all this off, he's pretty much cued to Batman's bond, but he brings his signature droll wit to the character. He's literally past even trying to lecture Bruce on how to do the right thing. He's more tuned to expressing his disapproval through passive-aggressive comments under his breath or just flat-out verbal sparring. Their relationship is probably the best one in the movie, as you really do get a sense of two grizzled yet well-financed mercs who've just seen some shit together. There is genuine affection there. Oh, I hope the next generation of Waynes won't inherit an empty wine cellar. Not that there's likely to be a next generation. Thank you, sir. This is every call made from the Russian's phone. Two mentions of business with the white Portuguese, and it's continually transmitting blacked-out data to the personal residence of Alexander Luther. Do you think Lex Luther is the white Portuguese? I can't see that he needs the income from imported arms. Regardless, I'll need to put a leech in this house, and I'm going to need the suit. The bat interrogated six people and came away with nothing. It was Bruce Wayne that got the information. And that brings me to the next category, which would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now, the million-dollar question still remains for me, even with the 30 additional minutes of director's cut footage that are filling in several narrative gaps from the theatrical cut. Why is Superman in this movie? Because in how he's written by Chris Terrio and David Goyer, directed by Snyder, and sorry, even in how he's played by Henry Cavill, he clearly does not want to be here. And before any Snyder heads chime in with, well, this is a younger, less established Kellel, he's still finding his way. He's still trying to figure out his place in the world. No, sorry, stop right there. You already had one whole movie to complete that arc, and it was called Man of Steel. Just the mere idea of making a direct sequel to an origin story, but having your main protagonist repeat the same arc again while also introducing a ton of new elements, it just makes my head hurt. I mean, that would be akin to Marvel sticking Tony Stark into new movies and having him go through the same... Oh, never mind. So yes, BVS was a flawed concept for a movie from the get-go. Not only does Kal-El not want to be here, but nobody else seems to want him in this story either, including the director, sorry to say. We do see a few scenes of Superman saving folks, sometimes in grand circumstances too like a space shuttle explosion, but it's always shown after the fact, in slow motion, with Cavill slash Kalel looking miserable, with a dreary color filter, and with grim music playing. Why? <laughs> Just think about this for a minute. With the massive $250 million plus budget he was given for this movie, Zack Snyder decided to devote way more screen time to Eisenberg's Luther prancing around his mansion, shoving candy into folks' mouths, 
as opposed to, I don't know, Superman saving a bunch of astronauts from the explosion of a space shuttle during takeoff? Sorry, that's just cinematic malpractice right there. There's no way around it. Now look, Cavill is no Christopher Reeves as far as I'm concerned, but he's still a pretty good actor with definite charisma and appeal, some of which was used in the previous movie Man of Steel, though never enough for my taste. And, and this time around, his character is just devoid of charm or even much in the way of relatability. To me, the obvious waste here is both Cavill as an actor and the character of Kal-El slash Superman slash Clark Kent. All this time, I've been living my life the way my father saw it. Running wrongs for a ghost. Thinking I'm here to do good. Superman was never real. Just the dream of a farmer from Kansas. That farmer's dream is all some people have. It's all that gives them hope. And that brings me to the next category. And here we have actually two categories that I'm merging together. The trailer moment. This is the scener moment that best describes this movie. And best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Now, for me, there's an obvious standout. Even though I'm sure most others would choose the sequence when we watch Batman Dispatch with many of Lex's goons at a warehouse late in the movie. And don't get me wrong, that's a really fun, really good action sequence. But to me, the trailer moment has to be Gal Gadot's first appearance as Wonder Woman late in the movie. Now, this is not really a spoiler as the second trailer for BVS idiotically spoiled this moment, but it's a genuine barn burner of a moment. We hear that Tina Guo slash Hans Zimmer heroes theme kick in as we see her clad in her blood-stained, just for this movie, Amazon warrior garb, armed with sword and shield looking fierce. Right after she's blocked laser beams, I think, coming from that giant Ninja Turtle-looking doomsday creature. It's just a glorious moment of comic book cinema. Did you find the spear? I've been a little busy. This thing, this creature, seems to feed on energy. This thing is from another world. My world. I've killed things from other worlds before. She with you? I thought yours was you. And speaking of her theme music, officially known in this movie as Is She With You? That's the track. It's one of the few highlights from a generally disappointing score from Hans Zimmer and Junkie XL, who are both composers who usually deliver with this type of film. At the very least, though, they helped craft, along with cellist Tina Guo, one of the best hero themes of recent years. Just using a screeching cello along with pounding percussion. It's literally a war cry. And it was such an effective audio table setter for this character, I'm really glad they brought it back for her standalone movies as well. And that brings me to the final category. That would be the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. It's got to be Affleck. The introduction of his Batman slash Bruce Wayne is certainly the most successful aspect of this movie. He's definitely given the most to do and is generally fun to watch, even when his character is often written to be quite grim. Affleck always maintains a twinkle in his eye, even when delivering the following kind of pointed dialogue. Tell me. 
Ben just makes it work. And it also helps to have the reliably droll Jeremy Irons as his Alfred to play off of. Bottom line, BVS isn't nearly as watchable without Affleck in this role. And he certainly ranks among the best portrayals of both Batman and Bruce Wayne to appear on the big screen. You're going to go to war. That son of a bitch brought the war to us two years ago. Jesus, Alfred, count the dead. Thousands of people. What's next? Millions. He has the power to wipe out the entire human race. And if we believe there's even a 1% chance that he is our enemy, we have to take it as an absolute certainty. And we have to destroy him. But he is not our enemy. Not today. 20 years in Gotham, Alfred. We've seen what promises are worth. How many good guys are left? How many stayed that way? My overall rating for Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, The Ultimate Edition, Rise of Martha. (laughs) Just kidding. It would have to be two stars out of five. Now, I know that BVS has a lot of ardent supporters and major props to these folks for pushing Warner Brothers to eventually allow for the production and release of Zack Snyder's Justice League earlier this year. And that's a film I really enjoyed, by the way. But after now having seen both versions of this film, Batman v Superman, I just can't look at it as anything besides a somewhat entertaining, yet often overstuffed misfire. Now, if you're looking to find Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, Ultimate Edition, or the non-Ultimate Edition, you could find both streaming on HBO Max. And that ends another metal yeah. review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.